Hello world, welcome to the High Paying Bastards. We are your hosts, Ian and Ari. Here we will discuss anything related to video game culture, so please take a seat and join us. Ian, how are you doing, my man? Ari, I am alive and still alive. How are you doing? I'm kind of recovering from a cold. I don't know if you can hear it on my voice. No, actually, I would not have guessed that at all. <laughs> uh, I had a pretty bad flu recovering from it. Uh, oh, damn. It it gave me a... Well, I don't know why I said pretty bad. It was actually pretty normal. It was not a very bad flu at all because I got my flu shot. All I had was like a sore throat and that's about it. Way to play it up. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I keep always saying like, uh, like pretty bad too frequently. I need to be more optimistic about things, you know. Yeah, I well, I'm glad to hear that you didn't get like mad fucked up or whatever. You know what I mean? Absolutely, no mad fucked up on mine. You know, it's it's like that uh, scenes in the movie where if you see a character cough, you know for a fact they're going to be dead by the end of the movie. <laughs> I had like a couple of coughs like that, but that's about it. He has the sickness, <laughs> the black lung. Yep. All right, let's do some news. The only section that matters. Well, uh, we're going to have a game section later on, which will matter too, of course. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, so he got uh, the first one here from Games Radar uh, talking about EA flop Immortals of AVM reportedly costs around $125 million. And a former dev says a AAA single player shooter in today's market was a truly awful idea not to be confused with Ubisoft's quadruple-A game, Skull and Bone. I, I think we have given them shit, you know, previous time. <laughs> we need to lay off of Ubisoft. Now it's just becoming a cyberbullying if we keep talking about bad about them, even though they deserve it, right? It's... Ubisoft's my personal punching bag, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> All right. The thing about it is, like, you know, the quote that what the developers are saying, this whole news article is pretty interesting because they're trying to lay out why exactly this game flopped. It had many things kind of going on, but for their particular opinion, the developers Ascendant Studio are saying is that the main cause of this game being flopped is that not many people want to play the type of game they were developing, and also the fact that there was a kind of a myriad of big games like Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield coming out around the same time, apparently, which occupied a lot of other game players' uh, time, so they did not have any kind of way of playing it. But in my opinion, there's more to the story and why it failed than just kind of blaming it on timing or the, you know, the genre of the game itself. Because for me, I would assume like a AAA single-player shooter game is still a pretty good, like, you know, game to kind of play. Yeah, no, uh, I would totally agree with you there. I think there's more at work than what this developer is really kind of saying. Because he ends up saying, too, that it was a, it ended up launching bloated, right? So too much stuff going on in the game. So he's admitting right there in the same article, almost in the same sentence, that the game was bloated. It was a new IP, which, you know, sometimes new IPs just don't really hit their mark. And it was, he also says that it was a repetitive campaign that was far too long. So, I mean, you're already identifying some other things there other than just being like, oh, a single player shooter is not good in this market. It is, but I I think you just kind of identified some of your key problems right there. Um, I know another thing too, people were kind of saying they wanted to make a first person shooter without guns. However, 
uh, magic that you use in this game acts exactly like guns, and a lot of the magic is just relatively the same. So it sounds like you don't really have a whole lot going there, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I'll give my honest like you know review on the first impressions of playing the game. The gameplay looked pretty good. It actually looked pretty good. I actually liked it the way I looked at it and everything that was coming out. I think a lot of the times, like when I went over the game store page on you know Steam or UPlay or whatever, it looks like the major complaint is that there's just nothing other than the gameplay itself. Like the story sucks. The characters are you know spilling out the dribbles that you've heard on many different other games. Other than the main core idea, there is really not much of an originality, and it's just kind of a copy paste of what has already been published in other games and etc. Like that was the main review on the negative side, even though overall it did pretty well from the review. There were like significant people who liked it. There was like a mostly positive on Steam even right now. I I think what he's like, he's just not identifying the reasons why that this game didn't hit its mark. I mean, he he does to an extent, but there's just, I feel like there's more to it. I, I remember when this first came out, because I forgot that you had played it, Ari, and you asked if I was going to play it, and I was like kind of a, a quiet pass on this one. It just didn't really grab my attention. I, I don't really feel like I missed out on much, really. Yeah, that's the thing. It didn't grab your attention. That's the key point. Like $40 million in marketing, and it did not grasp your attention. Like, where did all that money go, right? I mean, people didn't really hear about it. I only heard about this game through like some game ranks or like, you know, review kind of videos that I was watching to see what kind of games was coming out. Like this would have been a game perfectly on my avenue. It's just like, there's nothing much to it. Uh, I could not play it properly either because at the time of its release, it had some kind of an unreasonable minimum spec requirements. I think it has kind of been downgraded a bit, but at the time you need like an i7 9700 or Ryzen 7 3700X, like, high quality CPU and RTX 2080 Super and AMD 5700 XT, like 8 GB, like high quality GPU as well. That's what you needed to run this game at its full potential. If you look at Steam right now, the minimum spec does have 1080, but it can only run 1080p at 30 frames per you know second. Like they were trying to develop a really good looking game, but the minimum spec requirement for this game literally walled off a lot of people who played their games on PC because not many people have that many high-end uh, PC to play their games with. And it all literally like walled off quite a significant number of people from playing it like properly and enjoying it if it was even possible, if you were able to ignore the story or whatever. And right now, like, you know, this is still like, you know, quite a uh, strenuous minimum spec requirement because if you compare it to Witcher 3 which plays so well even with graphic cards that are lower than 1080 like you know RTX uh, not RTX sorry but GeForce 1080 like Nvidia 1080 you can still play those games pretty well and it still looks pretty good like just the way this game was built it was not ported for PC properly that could allow more PC players to get access to it and I think that really spoiled a lot of people from wanting to play this game as well yeah, it seems like they kind of just went for like the game looking really good versus playing really good. Yeah, a lot of the reviews were just literally like, hey, I have to turn off my DLSS in order to play this game or I have to really lower the settings or like, you know, my PC just could not handle it because it was crashing. Like these sections are quite repeatable on the review section on the negative side, but there are some positive people are like, hey, this is actually not a long game, 10 to 15 hours, like you're shooting magic. The magic looks better than, you know, say like 
similar comparison, like, you know, Skyrim, which has the uh, first-person magic as well, it is, like, ton of a lot better because it's basically shooting guns more than anything else. Like, there is a room in the gaming market for a good AAA single-player shooter with a good story and is accessible to a lot of people. There is a market for a good game, is all I'm trying to say. It's like, it's not just about timing. It's a, there's a lot of things going on with this game that did not work out for sure, but it also had some fundamental like engineering flaws too. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I don't really have much to say on this. I mean, I, it was a pass for me, so yeah. it's never on my book, you know? Yeah, this is the most anybody has ever talked about this game for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on then, because I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> we got Embracer Quarter 3, results lower than expected. Boosted by the Lord of the Rings licensing revenue. Ari, talk to me, man. Sure. Anytime it's financially, just like throw me into it. Don't yeah. do it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exciting news. You know, more about quarter three earnings. It's the biggest release since quarter two earnings kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> so I got, so this is the news from Variety.com. You know, Embracer, the reason we ought to look at it is because of all the gaming, you know, markets and gaming industry players, Embracer has been the one that has been just cutting studios, divesting, getting out of it, firing people. So what exactly is happening throughout the year that they're trying to do this, right? So looking at this Q3 earnings, one of the things that was highlighted was that over the year, you know, they have cut about 8% of the global workforce. And their main target right now is to reduce their debt to at least 8 billion kronas or $760 million by March 2024. And right now, they missed that target for the Q3 which means there's still a lot more divestment and a lot more cutting and job layoffs and kind of just getting out of certain kind of market kind of situation going on. So there'll be a lot more uh, trimming the fat for this company and wonder what other areas they're going to start looking at to cut as well. So there's more news about this group either laying off or canceling IPs and et cetera that are coming up. IPs such as, you know, uh, DuSX and et cetera. But they're overall, like, you know, from this Q3 earnings too, it is kind of interesting. What is it that Embracer Group is actually investing and what is actually working for them is pretty interesting story too. Like for example, the PC and console games where they have to spend a lot of time and effort developing and has a huge development cost, those areas are not doing well, but the areas that does not have high development costs like trading card, Magic the Gathering or tabletops or IPs like Lord of the Ring that they license out, that's the one that's making them the most money and helping them generate cash on that end. So they're looking at trying to maximize the ones that they work with and minimize the one that doesn't work. So we're going to see a lot more kind of like, you know, layoffs coming up from Embracer Group and their subsidiaries moving forward. So that's the general story of this Q3 earning. Yeah, it kind of sucks because they did buy up so many different kinds of IPs. Like you said, Deus Ex. Uh, it looks like they snagged up like Tomb Raider as well. Of course, they got Lord of the Rings there. So it, it's unfortunate to see that they snagged up so much stuff and that they're, the video game market, quote unquote, isn't doing good for them. And, you know, it's kind of like fearful that they might kind of focus more on their trading cards and tabletops and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, we still don't know the full story because of all the NDAs or whatever, but it sounded like there was supposed to be like a outside investment coming in and putting money with them 
and investing in certain things together. But what ended up happening is that that investor, whoever it was, pulled out. It's kind of crazy because they just kind of lost that investment and suddenly they're like sitting around with all these studios and etc. but they don't have the money to do anything with it. Uh, that investment was supposed to be around like $2 billion or so, which would have helped them develop a lot of the things that they've already bought and kind of move forward with it. Uh, that's what it happens when you counter chicken before they hatch. You know, it's some estimate that it might have been some like, you know, Middle Eastern uh, sovereign fund that was supposed to come in. But, you know, that's the thing about cash heavy investors is that they can pull out any time without so much as a goodbye handshake or something like that. Yeah. It's just a drop in a bucket for them. So uh, they don't really care too much. Exactly. But it's an interesting on the financial side. We're trying to understand what exactly is happening with them and how much more, uh, you know, cost cutting they're going to have to do. And it looks like they've only been able to do about half of what they intended to do. They still need to get to their debt to of $760 million by the March 2024. Right now, their debt stands at around $1.5 billion. So at least half more of that debt to go. So there's going to be a lot more trimming of the fat coming on their end. Yeah, I think that's kind of like the key thing to watch out for because, again, they, they have so many IPs and studios and stuff like that. So it's like, who's going to be on the chopping block and who's not? Exactly. Well, <laughs> they have my prayers, man. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to the uh, another <laughs> another corporate news. Uh, this one from WSCC FTech. Uh, PlayStation wants to improve the operating profit with a more aggressive PC first-party games release plan. With that, I just want to give them a round of applause that they have finally kind of figured out how to do this. Like, you know, they finally come around and are thinking about it at least. So this is like, an uh, uh, you know what you tell you, uh, because you're a PS5 person and I'm more of a PC person. So it's like for us, a marriage made in heaven kind of thing. So you tell me like, you know, what do you think about it? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. I know Sony likes to hold on to their first party IPs and fight tooth and nail for it. Um, I don't really see anything wrong with like delayed releases on stuff like they did with like, you know, God of War, uh, Horizon and uh, that other one there, Uncharted. I think they did that one, too. Maybe not. But I mean, I don't I don't see a problem with it, really. Uh if Sony wants to like kind of really hold on to it, I think time releases are just fine. Um, and I'm all for seeing more cooperation with, with Sony and PC, the PC market and stuff. So that's my kind of thing. I mean, especially to, of course, since Helldivers 2 dropped, and I mean, it's been such a huge blow up, but we'll, we'll get to that because there's a lot to talk about there. I feel like <laughs> exactly. I think we'll cover that a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. For me, this is interesting because so, Apparently, this is kind of news coming up from the chief operating officer, uh, Hiroki Totoki. He is acting as an interim CEO while Jim Ryan, the current CEO, is about to or expected to retire until the company, uh, Sony Interactive, finds a new CEO for the uh, for to for them to lead. And what the current CEO, uh, Mr. Totoki's uh, understanding is that well. There isn't a deeper understanding of how Sony's actions or this first party releases are actually translating to better profit margin or sustainable growth for the company. It's like all these first party releases or exclusives that Sony has been kind of using. He doesn't really know if there is a way to do a proper metric, if it is actually helping the company make money or not. Like there's not enough metrics or even 
like in a proper way of measuring it, he believes that the first party games should not be limited with just the PlayStation consoles and should venture into other platforms and specifically PCs where he's looking at, which is interesting because like basically what they're trying to find out is, okay, if I release a game like Horizon or God of War, who am I going to make more money from? The person who thinks that they will go buy a PlayStation console to play that game or somebody who already has a PC and buy that game. Because the first person has to pay about $500 extra and then the God of War to play that game in that just in the PlayStation console. But the other one can just easily spend the 60 to $70 immediately and be able to play the first party game. Now, they have to measure which of these two people that they can focus on and be able to increase their revenue. Right now, they don't have the understanding whether one thing that they've been doing has been as good of a strategy or not at all. Which is interesting because like, I always thought like the reason they do this exclusive first party stuff is because they know they make more money with it. And this kind of being released is a kind of a hope of optimism on my end that you know next time when they release God of War 3 or Horizon Zero Dawn, they will release it on PC at the same time as the PlayStation releases. Because that way, I don't have to wait a whole year or until the sequel comes out for, for me to play that game. Like in you know, Final Fantasy 16, all these games that I've been, have been walled off from playing, now no, I can go and actually try it out. That would be pretty exciting for, you know, for someone like me who only plays on PC. So for me, this is good news. For me, this is like exciting news because, you know, Sony has a good track record with their uh, exclusive games, Spider-Man from Insomniac and etc. Yeah, like, you know, I, for me, this is this is a great news. I mean, I feel like they shouldn't necessarily focus on like, oh, who's going to buy more of said game or whatever, because ultimately it comes down to whatever the person wants or feels most comfortable playing with, you know? Of course, like, I only have a, a PS5, so if it's releasing on PS5, I'm going to get it on PS5, you know? Um, now, if I had, like, a PC or a PS5, I mean, it... it in my opinion, it really just kind of depends on the game. You know, if it's something that I can like sit back and just kind of chill with, then I'll probably get it on my PS5 where I can just like sit on my couch, put it up on the TV, my, you know, my big fat old TV and fucking play it there. So, or like if it's something I want to like sit out and really like hyper focus on or something like that, I might get it on PC. So I think it's just like whatever you're more comfortable playing it on and that's kind of the way that they should go or should look at it. I mean, they're going to sell copies either way, right? So, and they're just introducing another market when they release it on PC at the same time. Yeah, but it's also about kind of like a elasticity. It's easier to convince someone to buy a game for $70 than it is to tell someone, hey, you need to go buy some PlayStation console for $500 in order to play this game, right? It's about which one is easier to market. That's the thing too. The one thing I would say, though, is, okay, sure, you have a PC, but are your PC specs able to play it at a optimum level? I mean, it's- PS5, you know, games are literally fucking just designed for it, you know, where like PC, I might have to upgrade graphics cards or I might need to, you know, implement more RAM, stuff like that. So you start looking at costs on that side, too. True, but unless it's Immortal of AVM, I can play most of the probably the PC, like PlayStation game. The only issue on PlayStation release on PC is that their port has not been as good. They've had some issues on that end, of course, but we also got that news from like, you know, some email leaks from PlayStation, like Sony, is that uh, 
it's not as difficult to release or at least approve certain kind of games for uh, that are PlayStation exclusive to be released on PC. It's literally an email away if it's under a certain amount of cost. So it's nothing wrong with, in my opinion, if they are at the development stage focusing on both the PC port and the PlayStation port as well. So yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with that, and I will say this: like, I don't want to seem like a PlayStation fanboy because I will say that the cert- certification process to get patches pushed through on PlayStation, from what I have heard, is fucking hell, and that's why it takes PlayStation so long to get patches and stuff. Whereas, like, through Steam, you know, or on PC, patches are you know they can be put in very quickly. Yeah, I mean, at the conclusion. You know, there's a uh, good side and kind of a maybe not as good side for both. For me, I want to play these like, you know, PlayStation exclusive, like, you know, on time, like when it's, you know, out there and being played. Uh, that, like, you know, I don't want to wait for like a couple of years when they finally decide to uh, shower me with their kindness or whatever. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, this thing is also by an interim CEO. So it might not be shared by the next CEO who might come in and might continue with the exclusive anyway but it's interesting that they have this kind of opinion going on and we can see it from the hell divers too like you know showing how popularity has really helped hell divers too because it is accessible both pc and playstation they might be a little bit more kinder towards that decision yeah and that, that's always a good thing um i think this is also kind of like a good logic point too where you know, we got another article here from Eurogamer talking about how Microsoft's trying to multi-platform Xbox, right? So they're talking about basically releasing a lot of the first-party IPs on multiple consoles as well. So like PlayStation and Switch. They got a couple games out there right now that they're going to do. I think uh, Hi-Fi Rush, Grounded, Sea of Thieves, and Pentiment um, are going to be uh, kind of pushed, but you know, there's also reports of larger games such as like Starfield coming to PlayStation or <laughs> Switch. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting move in my opinion. It sounds like Xbox is trying to, to to just kind of branch out or attempt to as well. Yeah, there's been like a lot of weird rumors kind of going around on that part of the market, like you know whether they're going to continue the Xbox or not, which they have confirmed that they will, and everything else. I don't want to exacerbate any kind of rumor or anything, but. This is great, right? I mean, at first, like, you know, there was a kind of an exclusive war between consoles. It's like you know, trying to keep as many people to their own environment as possible. Now, they're slowly trying to branch out and see if they can have better margins uh, by making sure that their games are accessible for other uh, console uh, makers as well. So this is a good thing. You know, this is how the world should be. You know, everybody working together and sharing. That's that's a in my having a good lesson and we should all enjoy and remember it. Yeah, let's all sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya, you know, fucking hold hands and shit. I mean, I I don't want to sound like a naysayer because it, it is a good thing, right? Like, if I could have played Starfield on PlayStation, I probably would have, you know? Um, this also goes to, like, kind of ensure that, you know, hey, maybe we'll see Fable on PlayStation, which it would be fantastic. Uh, maybe we'll see, uh, you know, it, it, that's kind of like the set in stone that you know next fallout will be multi-platform that uh elder scrolls will be multi-platform because we know that, that microsoft kind of owns bethesda at this point so being able to see those those other games going to other consoles is fantastic although i feel like with the switch's performance anything you get on that is going to be a living nightmare trying to play yeah yeah i mean 
maybe the next Switch 2 will be better, right? <laughs> maybe. Because that we is can, a good way, to, good way to uh, kind of transition to the news that came out from Insider Gaming is that according to uh, developers who are already working on games targeting quarter one 2025, like they expect the Nintendo Switch 2 to might potentially launch on the first quarter of 2025 as well. So these are kind of a rumors kind of going around. That'd be pretty interesting. I'm, I have never really played Nintendo products a lot. Even like, you know, since like the Wii, to be really honest, I was rarely I've had opportunity to play on any of the Nintendo console. But I know you own one. What do you think would be a upgrade to that kind of like, you know, a console for Switch itself? What do you think you would expect as a consumer? Hopefully it has. So I've seen a lot of rumors saying specifically March 2025. So maybe we'll see something then. But as far as like, what would I expect? I mean, first party games on the Switch, they work phenomenal. They're extremely smooth, uh, really consistent FPS, uh, usually, you know, kind of unique style when you look at like, say, Mario Odyssey, uh, the Zelda games, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom and stuff like those games all run smooth. But then when you start getting to, say, like Skyrim, like having Skyrim be portable is a great idea, but the performance of it is not good at all. So, I mean, as far as like hardware wise and stuff, I mean, I feel like we're still going to see it as a not just like an at home console, but a on the go console, which I'm fine with. I think the switch itself is pretty decent. It's just it doesn't have the necessary hardware. And I mean, I don't know, like if beefing it up is going to change how it looks, makes it bigger, more cumbersome to try to carry around and stuff, because I know they're trying to keep it relatively small and easy to carry, which is fantastic. But they, they definitely need to bump up how it performs, especially when you look at something like uh, the Steam Deck, which is roughly the same size and performs a hell of a lot better than the Switch does. And I think the other thing, too, that needs to be addressed, of course, is their Joy-Cons, because you get Joy-Con drift a lot. And I mean, those things aren't cheap. We're talking $60 a pop, the same as like a brand new game, basically. And they break very often, very quickly. The only plus side is that you can switch them out, unlike the Steam Deck, which is they're built in. So I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. We'll see what the, in what direction they go in. Yeah, that is that is pretty interesting because you mentioned Steam Deck on that end. Like Nintendo is not going to be the only company out there selling handheld high-performance devices, if you can even consider that for Nintendo, because it's going to have some tough competition from device makers like Asus, MSI, and Valve, who already are using some of the more high-end GPU and CPU built for that specific level of consoles and devices. And I'm pretty sure I can say that they might have a better quality of game, not from like, you know, subjective quality, but like objectively better looking games because of how much higher quality they can push for with those graphics and those CPU. That's going to be the environment that Nintendo is about to enter by the time the Switch 2 roll side. It's going to have a lot of tough comp competition on that end. Yeah, um, they are definitely going to be they got a fight coming to them, like you said, especially with like Asus and stuff like that, making their own. Um, 
share. I there was something I was going to say, and now I can't fucking remember what it was. <laughs> no, um, I mean I'll I'll add to it. their strength is their first party games on that end, right? I mean, usually their games, you know, the first party games that they have for Nintendo, they're not like you know they're not supposed to be like Call of Duty or you know big uh, AAA kind of game. They're supposed to kind of hit a different kind of crowd, like family friendly crowd, hitting a little bit of a nostalgia, a little bit of an adventure. They have a certain kind of way of creating the games that is a lot more fun to kind of play with other people. Like, I think that is what will probably help them a little bit more. And their established franchises like Legend of Zelda and, you know, Pokemon and etc. that'll probably help them compete against those bigger, the Steam Decks and MSI. So that is what they've got going for competition-wise. The, okay, I remember what it was. Price point. Um, the Switch is a hell of a lot cheaper than a Steam Deck, so they do have price point going for them. Again, though, when you start adding in like how often you have to buy Joy-Cons and stuff like that, because even no matter how gentle you are with them, they are going to break and you're going to get drift and you're going to have to buy another set. So it's like, at what point, at how many Joy-Cons are you buying where now the, the price point is offset and it would have been just cheaper to get a Steam Deck or something, you know? True that. Yeah, I, I mean, even with like, if you buy like five or a few Joy-Cons, it's not going to be as expensive as a Steam Deck. Well, when you're paying two hundred dollars for the switch, then you're paying another. You know what's you know, what's five times sixty? <laughs> Three hundred dollar. Yeah, so I mean, you're looking at five hundred bucks right there. You know, I, I mean, I'm gonna edit that I, long silence a little bit so that we don't look yeah. so bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and it, that's still cheaper than a Steam Deck, right? Yeah, I think I got mine for like eight or nine hundred bucks or something like that. So. I mean, it's still cheaper, but if you're not getting the performance out of it too, like you would with a Steam Deck, then what's the point? Uh, you know, and that's the thing too. The I have the OLED version, which I haven't pulled out the box to play, which is supposed to be a little bit of an upgrade from the regular Switch. So it really is kind of interesting how much beefier they're going to get with this handheld. I will say another great point too. Again, it is that it's an on the go, but you can you all have your dock, so you can also play it on your couch as well, which is great in my opinion. I, I give Nintendo props for too for like trying innovative and new things because they always do. Every I swear, every console is very innovative and unique. You know, I I'm gonna kind of disagree on that end because I don't think it's exactly innovative. I think it's like for me, it's about them repackaging what they have in a different manner that it kind of changes the experience a little bit now you might consider that innovative on its own sure but it's not like they're breaking any kind of like you know quality wise what they're doing is like they're able to repackage what they have in a different manner and really make it exciting on that and that's what i would think it is well yeah for the further games yes but i mean like their consoles right you look at um like the nintendo 64 then the gamecube then the Wii, right? The Wii U, you had your your little tablet to go along with the Wii and stuff. Um, and then, you know, you got the Switch, which is completely handheld and stuff and is able to dock and, and whatever. Like, I just feel like their consoles are very unique. Sometimes a little too gimmicky, for sure. But they do try to do different things. So I give them, I just give them props for that. Yeah. Personally. No, no, I mean, I'm not taking away from them. It's a, it's a, it's, it is props on my end too props away <laughs> um anyway moving on ari what do you want to get into you want to get into some bandai namco reveals how they recently canceled five games 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, Bandanamco, you know, another <laughs> another quarter earning for them. This is an interesting one. I I promised you. <laughs> it's really hard to promise people financials can be interesting, but Bandanamco, uh, what they're you know like this is a big uh, publisher and etc. Uh, what they kind of revealed on their recent earnings report is that you know they had about. 8.9% decline from uh, sales and revenue, and they had about 96.5% decline from profit from the same, like the third quarter of 2023 to like the uh, third quarter, so third quarter of 2022 to like third quarter of 2023. Now, at first sight, you know, what Bandai Namco has to kind of explain is why is it a big slump? Of course, because they were the major distributor of Elden Ring outside of Japan. In Japan, it's the From Software. And when you have a rare hit like Elden Ring, you're going to be able to make a lot of profit, a lot of money out of it. And of course, the next year, when you don't have something like an Elden Ring, uh, it's hard to kind of keep up with that kind of financial. Now, why it is so interesting is because it has led Bandai Namco to say on their earnings report that they are going to be much more stricter when it comes to what kind of games they're releasing. So like they're going to have, on their word, they're saying they'll have a stricter quality control. But what it probably means is that they're going to identify which games have the best potential for a strategic worldwide kind of title. A title that is much more well-known, a well-known franchise. So they'll focus more on those kind of games than for like a casual title for light users. Now, they haven't specified what this two different classification is particularly, but it sounds like they will rely heavily on the known franchise and not try to rely heavily on the newer or like less known kind of franchise or franchises that does not have higher uh, budgetary uh, requirement, like double A or something like that. So on that end, like, you know, I think that's not exactly what they should go for because the smaller title should have a little bit more ability to be published by somebody as big as Bandai Namco as well. That is what I wanted to particularly highlight on that end. Yeah, no, I would uh, agree with you 100% um, because when you sit there and say that you want to focus on your, your big name titles and stuff, that's great and all, but like with your casual titles, right? So if you look, if you were to mirror Capcom, right? Dragon's Dogma, for instance, um, when the first one came out, it wasn't like some really huge su- success. It was more of a underground kind of uh, unknown type game overshadowed by a lot of what came out and was kind of more or less forgotten for a long time. How long are you? Like 10 years or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For me, it was about three months. <laughs> exactly. So that would almost be like not seeing Dragon's Dogma 2, which of course we know comes out next month and me and you are both excited for, you know what I mean? So to to kind of turn away from your your casual light users and and not really well known titles is kind of uh, sounds like you're going to kill a lot of other games that way. Um, of course, Elden Ring was huge, so they, you know they're saying that no other game that they released really was able to replicate how many copies were sold, such as like Elden Ring, right? Um, to note, they do have a lot of the uh, anime fighters, such as like Dragon Ball, One Piece. Uh, stuff like that, which those are usually they do oh, they do better in Japan than they do over here for sure. The other big thing too is they have Tekken Eight, 
which Tekken 8 was a huge release for the fighting community. However, it seems like they're going to be seeing some backlash as it sounds like microtransactions and a Tekken 8 store is on the way. So we might see a little bit of a slump there or they might see some sales. You know, who knows? Yeah, I think like Tekken 8 has at best pretty good core gameplay from what we look at a lot of people like it with the unreal engine being used and everything else and it has made enough like definitely higher sales than its previous iteration taken seven did in the same amount of time uh but yeah you know but they also have other things coming up like elden ring dlc that will probably be released this year which will help them with more of their sales but at the core of it it's also the fact that you know like this mentality of hey we had this one really great rare kind of release that did so much better than anybody expected. That happened because Elden Ring is one of those casual titles for light users. It's a title that was not a franchise before and was being built by the reputation of the studio that it came from. Like if you know, Bandai Namco decides to focus more on those worldwide titles that are already kind of known, like title like Elden Ring would not probably get as much attention at all and you could miss out on an opportunity like Elden Ring they're taking kind of a wrong lessons from the success of Elden Ring you know it's like no 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 the point is to kind of take risk with newer kind of you know story and it's set a newer kind of franchise and not just depend upon those strategic worldwide title whatever that entails if it entails like you know known IP or something like that that's that's a weird lesson to take from your experiences what I'm also trying to communicate on that end yeah, no, uh, I yeah, it sounds like they might not be looking at the the better scope of things. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, what do I know? I'm not the one that's running that company, so <laughs> you could take whatever they yeah. want to. Not, I'm not Mr. Bandai Namco over here. <laughs> Please, Bandai Namco is my father's name. Call me Namco. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on from Bandai Namco canceling five games, unfortunate to. Call of Duty esports players are suing Activision for $680 million in damages, alleging that the publisher has an unlawful monopoly on the game's esports scene. That's kind of huge news, Ari, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. $680 million. I didn't even know like esports even kind of circled around that much amount of money to have that much amount of damages. That's like some of the numbers, the dollar numbers coming out of this news is shaking me to my core, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, the 680 million, that's not chump change by any means. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is huge money we're talking about. Um, real quick, it looks like the lawsuit was filed by Hector Rodriguez, uh, also known as H3CZ. I don't know if he pronounced that some uh, specific way or whatever. He is the leader for esports team Optic. Go ahead, Ari, I hear you over there. Yeah, no, let's use their Christian name. <laughs> okay, Hector. Um <laughs> And also, so uh, Seth Abner, going by Scump, um, he's apparently one of Call of Duty's best esports players. Those two individuals are the ones that are following the lawsuit in Los Angeles, alleging that basically Activision has kind of more or less bullied other tournaments off the scene. So really the only one that you can play in is Activision's own tournaments. Yeah. More or less. Yeah, let's let's list it out, right? Let's let's list out the specific things that Activision Blizzard, according to this lawsuit per the plaintiffs, what they think that Activision Blizzard has done that was monopoly-like behavior. So 
First thing they have highlighted is that Activision Blizzard charged teams hefty fees for competing in the Call of Duty League, with 12 teams receiving a bill for $27.5 million apiece. Now, that's a crazy amount for like an esport competition. That's like another dollar amount that really shook me because I'm pretty sure that is higher than the entry fee for a Formula One driver. Because I think like Max Verstappen doesn't have to pay that much amount of money to compete in Formula One driver. Like, like that is a huge amount of money to be charging. Like, you know, what is not exactly that big of a viewership. Because like last I checked the numbers, like the CDL League, uh, the Call of Duty League gets at peak about 400,000 to like 300,000 to 400,000 peak viewership during its tournament. The second thing is that the teams that competed in Call of Duty League were allegedly prevented from competing in or supporting other tournaments. So they can only play in the Activision sanctioned tournaments only. Another one, unable to profit from playing Call of Duty beyond the structures of the league. That means you can only play Call of Duty if it's not being streamed or something like that. Like it's much more like, you know, secluded. These players had to play at a certain kind of, uh, you know, like their league only, like, you know, it means probably that they cannot play it in another venue or another kind of outside competition or anything like that. Or even, I don't know if it includes it, but maybe they won't even be able to stream or live stream it when they're playing it personally on their own channels or something. Uh, and another one, in order to meet with his demand, Hector Rodriguez claims that he was forced into a financially devastating partnership to compete, which involved partnering with a billionaire investor who demanded a 92.5% ownership share in his own company. Like... Those are some crazy, crazy acquisitions. Like, I don't think it's a $680 million in damages, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a settler or anything like that. But like, those are, that, those are some like draconian measurements being used for like a, like, you know, a, a league or a sport that is not really as big as people think it is. Yeah. No. Like, like you said, the, the accusations are, are kind of wild and they really are. Um, Especially to, I mean, Call of Duty is a very big franchise. Um, I mean, arguably the biggest. I'm actually, I'm looking right now because um, I'm trying to find numbers. There's a Rainbow Six tournament going on right now. The Rainbow Six uh, Invitational 2024 is actually going on right now. Um, and I know they're streaming on Twitch. And I was trying to look up numbers as just like a comparison thing, but I'm not really seeing anything, unfortunately. But I, I do want to note too that, that that's what, the, the plaintiffs are saying as far as the damages that they've incurred and stuff. Um, Activision's response to that was saying that Rodriguez and Abner demanded that Activision pay them tens of millions of dollars to avoid this meritless litigation. And when their demands were not met, that's when they filed. Well, so that's, I feel like, kind of interesting too. Yeah, but I mean, that's how usually lawsuit goes, right? You're not going to settle, we're going to sue, right? That's the point of it. Like, at the end of it, like and they're going to come to a number that's between ten and six hundred and eighty million dollars, which is a giant fucking range. But they'll come to that's a number what I mean. between. That's 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 what's so crazy about it, right? Is you know we're, they're asking for just tens of millions. Activision says no, and then they go, okay, well, fine. Now we're suing you for six hundred eighty million. Yeah. Well, well, usually, like you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in an accident. Usually, like lawyers will hit a big number and then work their way down. So the six hundred eighty million dollar, like it gives me a heart attack. But you know, I know it'll come down in the number itself because one of the reasons I know they'll probably settle is because Activision is trying to flex its arm in an arena that is not even at its like 
full potential yet. Like you're looking at the numbers for Rainbow Six, like look up the number for League of Legends tournament. It gets about 4 million to 6 million at peak, uh, at peak viewership. That is yeah. a crazy number compared to Call of Duty's tournament peak number, which is like 400,000. That is that is what the number that they have the potential to. How many copies of Call of Duty did Activision sell last year? About 25 million or so. Of that 25 million, you're telling me that you cannot attract even 10% of those people from watching your competition to get at least a 2.5 million viewership? You can only get 400,000 people to watch this particular tournament. That means they're giving up so much potential of like you know, having more people come in and watch this tournament. That means they're not advertising properly. What they need to be doing is that be able to work with other people into expanding and making it more popular to watch a Call of Duty tournaments. They should be working with GameStop or other companies that have already stakes in eSport Arena rather than you know trying to drive off of them or trying to partner with people like Hector Rodriguez and Seth Abner, who are a very well-known name in the Call of Duty community you should be asking them to be involved in that particular one a lot more so that you can kind of like, you know, branch out and expand the viewers. And then after you have expanded the viewers for quite a bit, that's when you start, you know, a bit iron fisting if you want to really do it and still ruin it. But like, you're not in the numbers to do it yet. Like, you're a big company. Like, you should be able to see potential rather than just seeing how to control something. Like, that's what I'm yeah. more like, you know, concerned about it here. Yeah, trying to strong arm them, like you said. I did find so I did find some stats. Uh, according to eCharts.com, the uh, Rainbow Six Invitational 2024, the peak viewership was at 117,000. The average viewers is 78,000. Um, and the prize pool for them is about 3 million, it looks like. Yeah. So pittance, right? That's like a small number. That's for Rainbow Six, but still, I don't know why we're, <laughs> we're dunking on Rainbow Six. That's Ubisoft. I know you always. <laughs> Well, I mean, I actually like Rainbow Six. I thought Siege was good. I don't like the direction they've been going in. I haven't played it in a while, but there's like a ton of different operators now and stuff. But when it first released, it was a decent game. I enjoyed it a lot. So it was really good. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Call of Duty and Activision just making, in my opinion, bad moves. Yeah, Yeah, like they need to be working with these people a lot closer rather than trying to control them because... There is a potential for a lot more people to come in and watch these games as a tournament. Like, you know, all the popular, like, you know, whatever clans they call that does like trick shots of uh, Call of Duty and became popular and then started shilling out some of those fake coins or whatever. What is that? Like FaZe Clan or whatever. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. People, like, you know, I mean, there's a wide audience for it. You need, Like, how did League of Legends get those numbers? How did, like, in the StarCraft or World of, you know, Warcraft or whatever, they get those giant fucking numbers when it comes to their tournaments, but you can't even break a million or half a million on it. It's because you are you need to work with these people a lot closer and try to bring more people into it rather than excluding it out. Yeah, and definitely like, it, you know, if they were shutting down other tournaments and other leagues and stuff like that, that's kind of doing themselves a disservice rather than letting more exposure come to the game, you're shutting it down. I mean, you don't see the king of basketball coming in and shutting down basketball tournaments here and there. Unless, yeah. I guess the NBA kind of kind of does that. Well, I guess Activision <laughs> just wants to be like other league sports to you know, NBA and NFL. But NFL has competitors, etc. And now we're talking about the lawsuit. Are there any precedent for these kind of lawsuits? There are. There are many sport franchises that were sued and had to 
relegate multiple competitions from coming in and, you know, trying to play the similar sport like in XFL and NFL. Those are kind of examples. And also Activision has already been kind of targeted by Department of Justice over salary caps and et cetera. So this is not going to be one of the first time they're going to be sued for monopoly kind of activities. So, you know, they should learn the lesson hopefully pretty soon. Yeah, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't learn the lesson from Nintendo because Nintendo has a tendency to shut down like the uh, Smash tournaments and stuff. And it it upsets the community tremendously that they can't host these tournaments and, and like broadcast them because Nintendo just wants to control everything about it. And it, I feel like that hinders Nintendo quite a bit versus, you know, helping them grow and expand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not for a company to, you know, shoot itself in the foot all the time. But a lot of these things that they're, you know, trying to strong on, it requires a more gardening approach, more kind of like an investment, letting it grow kind of approach. But oftentimes these companies, you see it again and again, they just nip it in the bud before it even has a chance to do something great with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think that's about it for there. I think that's about it for news. Do you think, Ari? Yeah, I think we should be pretty good there. Uh, let's move on to our next segment. Yeah, probably. All right, Ian, give me that energy one more time. Games, games, games. What do we get into this week, Ari? Oh, hell. Oh, I was going to say hell, yeah. Hell Divers, <laughs> yeah. That's what we are getting into, aren't we? Hell Divers too, my man. Yeah, Ian, um, uh, let me just say this. I don't think I've had this much fun with a video game in a long time. It's like I'm one of those jaded people who are like, I've seen all games. There's nothing that can impress me. And then suddenly I find a game that's like, oh, man, this was a lot of fun. It it brought out the kid in me, man. It brought out the kid in me. No, yeah, I fully agree with you. Uh, Helldivers 2, in my opinion, has been fantastic. I mean, it has blown me away with how much fun I've been having with this game. It really has. Arrowhead has, I mean, they've they've struck gold with this. So let's see if they can keep that momentum. So basically, if you don't know Helldivers 2, it is uh, a continuation of Helldivers. So they went in a little bit of a different direction. Helldivers originally was a twin stick sh- uh, top-down shooter. Uh, Helldivers 2 is a third-person over-the-shoulder shooter with some FPS first-person elements because you can aim down your guns and stuff like that with different views. You're fighting for Super Earth, and you are where there are two factions right now, uh, the Terminids, which are your bugs, very akin to Starship Troopers, um, if you've seen that, which are, you still need to go watch that. Um, <laughs> and then the other side is the Automatons, which is the robots, which is very uh, Terminator uh, in Terminator 2-esque type villains. Yeah, and uh, like, you know, as you already mentioned, this is definitely a sequel, but it has completely revamped how you play this game. It's, uh, you use a lot of what they call stratagem in this game, which are airdrops that you can call in, which will include like cluster bombs, sentry guns, shield generators, supply pods, and etc. And yeah, one thing you want to know about is like friendly fire is always on, so got to be careful on that end. Yeah, overall, like, you know, it's a very simple game to kind of learn and fast to get up to. And then immediately you're thrown into the action and then you play with other people or your friends. And it's just a nonstop fun. The only thing limiting is if Ian wants to go to his bed on time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel like that's with everyone. Um, there, There have been some issues, but before we get into those, it is definitely a friend 
or cooperative experience. Playing by yourself is not easy. It's a little on the rough side. It can be done. Playing with random people is fine. I played a lot with random people and I had a blast, but there are some server issues that they're seeing because simply everyone's trying to play this fucking game. I mean, it's it's hitting numbers that they did not foresee. Uh, you know, the first one, the peak player base that they had, I believe on uh, Steam or uh, on PlayStation was 7,000 people. This game has, you know, within the first two weeks, seen over 300,000 300, people. Um, so they're hitting numbers that they didn't even expect to hit with this thing. Yeah, which says that can help, like not help, but like hinder them from being able to make sure that their game can house all those people in. I mean, there are companies who will do research for 10, 12 years and not be able to get those numbers. And then there are companies that you do not expect would be able to. Because I remember when the Helldivers 2 launch trailer and everything was coming up, people were a little bit skeptical about it because it's diverting away from what it was originally known for, the top-down shooter. And suddenly it comes out, you know, like, you know, it's one of the most fun games to play right now. It's definitely pushing out a lot of the other games that have come out at the same cycle. And a lot of like, you know, gamers are kind of focusing on that one from streamers and etc. But yeah, this has just been an absolute blast. Such a well-made game. Other than those issues you already highlighted, but at the core of it, it's a game that anybody can jump into and just be pretty good as long as you have a helping hand on your side. And that, in my opinion, has been the best part about this game. Is just when I tried to play it by myself, yeah, I could not even get past the uh, trivial mission and the easy mission. I was just keep getting swarmed all the time by these damn bugs. But the moment, you know, you and I started playing together, it's like we're doing like a harder and harder level without having to kind of like, you know, uh, wait for me to catch up. We were able to move past it really fast. The only thing that was hindering is uh, my gameplay more than anything else. It's just been so much fun playing this game with people. And, you know, I, I know there's there's been a lot of people that have been upset with these server issues and stuff, but, you know, this is a dev team that started out, I think it was with like 30 people, then they bumped up to 50, 70, I think it they were just oh, like around 100 people when Helldivers 2 dropped. So very small studio we're talking about that came out with this gem, um, this stratagem, if you will. Um, <laughs> but I, I know Ari, like... When me and you played, I had a blast too. I, I want to ask you, um, that last mission that we did, because we we, we kind of saw some issues. I was having an FPS bug that was slowing my game down, so I had to back out. Luckily, I was able to rejoin in, but then I didn't have any comms with you guys because for whatever reason, I was then getting in, uh, a bug with my microphone. But um, when we were getting to the extraction point, I don't know if you remember or not, I called down a heavy machine gun and you and the random were running in one direction and I was more towards where the uh, beacon was to call for the drop, uh, the airdrop to pick us up. And you were getting chased by a swarm of bugs. And then I hopped in that turret and I just started laying waste to everything that was chasing you. How fucking pumped up were you when that happened? I did not even... I did not even you notice. You didn't even notice? <laughs> no, I don't you know. didn't even notice? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean... I did that. It looked, did? it looked so cool on my scene and on my screen, right? You and the random were running in one direction. I was kind of like, I was parallel, but pretty far from you guys. I dropped down a heavy turret for myself and I just started shooting over your head at all the bugs that were chasing both of you. And the, the, the random kit started running towards me. And then I thought, then I saw you kind of like 
saw it too and started running towards me and I was just shooting above your head and just laying waste to anything that was chasing you. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. Wish I was there. <laughs> it was fucking dope as shit. I mean, you have so much like just cool act like movie action type yeah, scenes yeah. that go on in this game. And it just it it's so much fun. That is what I was about to share. It's like you can have so many war stories to tell when you play these games. And it's not like a game design. It's just the game is just giving you the toys to do it with. And like it's just a lot of fun when it happens. It's like, you know, either that or like, you know, you and me and the two randoms that we played with were just getting mauled after mauled by those chargers just nonstop. I think we killed like 20 of those at that moment. And it's just like, we got pretty good at it by the end, the 20th one, I think. Like that was, that's the kind of gameplay that really helps. It's like, it helps build kind of community in a sense that you're able to tell these kind of stories in the water cooler, well, not in a water cooler, but like, you know, this kind of story is like, hey, you remember this, you remember that. Like that's what is the most fun about it is like it, helps you kind of like in this collaborative environment and just having fun with your friends. And then you can just talk about it, like take stories to bed and tell your children in the future kind of stories kind of thing. I'm joking on all that end, but it's just like, you know, having this kind of thing to kind of just be a, like, you know, part of your gameplay, like you're creating kind of a little bit of a narrative. You're like telling, like, you know, having this kind of fights the kind of enemies you pursued the way you managed to nuke everything or like you managed to kind of use the hell bomb escaped it cluster bombing one another or firing mortar on one another and just having a great time in general every mission like it is such a rare fun to have with a video game in a long time like i haven't had this much fun playing a game in a long long time like just feeling like a little kid again yeah, one of the best things, in my opinion, is that this game doesn't necessarily punish you for dying. Every person that's in your squad basically gives you five respawns, so you can get a total of 20 when you have four people running together. And there's, like, no real penalty for dying. It's almost encouraged. Like, sacrifice yourself for, like, for the mission, for the better of the mission and stuff. Yeah. Um, which is really kind of fun, too. Yeah, because, like, that reminds me of one time when we were fighting against Titan, I think. Like, I died, and he just called me up, like, you know, as a reinforcement underneath the Titan, and my pod basically went down and killed the Titan itself. Like, that was the freaking awesome gameplay when you did it. Yeah, I mean, it was the coolest fucking thing to see. You just drop in from the sky, shooting right through this bile Titan, and then just popping up with your gun ready to go, <laughs> and this thing just falling around you. I mean, the, the scenes that you get playing this game are just great. I do want to say that uh, this is, of course, a live service game. So there is a store, there is microtransactions and stuff. But, and I want to say this right now, that this is the game that all live service games should take and replicate because they focused on gameplay. They focused on fun first. Everything that you like, the credits that you can buy with real money, the super credits is what they're called. You can earn those in game you can find them in game currently at release it's very fair in my opinion i do suspect that they will nerf that unfortunately but on release it, everything feels just really good um the store feels fair um you have your your own independent contracts and stuff the the biggest issue is of course the servers because you can't 
a lot of people aren't able to get in because there's so many people that are trying to play. So hopefully they'll remedy that because that really is going to take a lot of uh, wind out of the sails if they aren't able to get that under control, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about this game. Let's do a little bit more organized on that manner. Then you're right about the microtransaction thing. I think the fact that a lot of the cool part of the game is, you know, the stratagems and the uh, airdrops that you can call those things are only unlocked by earning in-game kind of point system, not the super credits, but like the uh, experience and et cetera, or like the funds that you get. Requisition, yeah. You get those by playing the game. You kind of unlock those a lot more. So there is no like pay to win. Well, I mean, to be fair, you're not really fighting against other players either. It's mostly against uh, the computer, you know, bugs and computer, computer, the robots, I guess. But like, you know, yeah, you're right about like you know how much more forgiving it is from the microtransaction perspective, and most of the fun, you know, it's not even related to microtransaction at all. Or they don't have battle passes yet, but it's the same thing. It's it's not related to those at all. I think I wanted to quickly touch base on like you know the easiness of how you play the game itself, like the way you move the fire, like you know how it is organized in overall perspective. If you want to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really basic, like you said before. Yeah, your weapons, you don't necessarily level up your weapons at all. So the gun is what you get. Um, firing is very smooth. A lot of the movement is really smooth, actually. I mean, I would say probably the biggest complaint is that there's no jump button. There's just a mantle button. You can dive, um, I think. Diving is yeah, jumping, you can dive. I think. <laughs> Well, I mean, diving is more of just like to get out of the way and stuff. I mean, like trying to jump up on rocks and stuff. You can't really, you really just dive head first into them <laughs> rather than jumping on them. I'm pretty sure I've seen you do it though. <laughs> uh, maybe, but like the the shooting is smooth. Um, the aiming, I like how they did it with this one because you have your reticle, but then you have a little circle that kind of shows you where your um, spray pattern is going. Um, so, and it's not like, uh, Call of Duty quick snapping on stuff. Like there's a little bit of what, what you could call lag when you're like turning and stuff, but it, it's made into the game. So it feels good. It doesn't feel like so much of a hindrance really. Yeah. On that end, like, did you play with the option of the first person shooting when you aim that one, or did you just kind of have a normal aim? Um, so I mostly just go with the the third person over the shoulder. Yeah. Um I did I did try some of the first person stuff and like with the machine gun, you know, the the big machine gun that you first kind of start out with, like it feels good with that, but I feel like with uh the grenade launcher, it's better in the third person view and as you know, I that was mostly what I took with me. Yeah, cuz I I think there's an option where, like, you can play third person, but on your aiming, it turns into the first person itself. Uh, that's, like, an option that you can use in this game, which is really cool. So, like, it's trying to have best of both worlds as well. So, on that end, like, you know, I mean, most of the time when you're facing an enemy, it's like a swarm situation. So, usually, you get pretty much overwhelmed with the multitude of enemies. So, you'd rather be in a third person and just spray through the entire cavalcade of enemies that are moving towards you. That's a lot more fun. And you're talking about the weapons. Yeah, like the weapons are fantastic in this one because the sound design for every bullet that you fire or the bomb that you drop or any kind of orbitals that you use, it's amazing. It's it's a really good sound design. It's just like, you know, the sound it makes is like almost like 
kind of like it, it makes you hit a dopamine on your own head and you want to keep on calling it again and again. It's it's really well-made sound design. The soundtracks and everything is so amazing around it too. Yeah, the like like when you're shooting that that heavy machine gun or when you're like by a turret, like you feel like you're there just because of how well it, it the sound design really is. I mean, you really sound, you feel like you're sitting there shooting a heavy machine gun and stuff. And like you're crouched down and you're just laying waste on a swarm of bugs or a swarm of robots, whatever it may be. The sound design is definitely superb. Like you don't really have like super high peaks when explosions happen, which is good. It's everything just, it it helps draw you into the game itself. Yeah. I mean, drawing into the game itself, like, the graphics, the graphics are amazing too. Like, you know, the world that you go and fight, it's pretty limited on the arena itself, but like, you know, you have multiple types of uh, planets that you can land on to desert, desert planet or forest night or day, or you could land onto the permafrost or like, you know, you can kind of like do a kind of a red kind of weird forest or something like that. Like there's a different kind of environment that you can really get into. It doesn't really impact a lot, but it's just nice to kind of see new thing once in a while when you kind of like go there. Cause like, Oftentimes, these kind of differences allows you to play in a certain area for a while. And then if you get bored, you can switch the place or enemies that you're playing against. And it will keep on keeping it like the game is still fresh because you are now facing in a different environment with a different enemy. So it keeps on helping you, like, you know, wanting to stay around in that game for longer and longer period of time. Yeah, I think the biomes are great. They're procedurally generated, I believe. So every map is different. The terrain's always different. And like you said, like the different biomes, but from your your dense jungles that have torrential downpour, which make it hard to see, to your Mars hellscape, where you have like a dust storm that's kicking up and you can't see more than two feet in front of you. You know, it just adds to the immersion. And like you said, it just looks really good as well. It doesn't look bad at all. It's very clean and polished as far as that goes. Uh, the different enemy types too, like there's a, good variety of enemies so it doesn't feel necessarily like you are fighting the same stuff kind of over and over again but it's definitely you it's hard to notice because there is just such a good sprinkle of variety there whether it's armored you know grunts coming after you or you know big hulking tanks or some flamethrower asshole that's just laying waste to the jungle shooting flames everywhere like it's just it's nice that they have such a dense variety of enemies there for you to fight. Yeah, I hope they keep on adding a few more later on down the road, which is probably like, you know, what is in their plan and etc. Yeah, like, you know, switching from bug to your robot enemies, you're suddenly starting with a different kind of game style. Not too different, you're still shooting at the enemy, but now you're more worried about the long range, uh, kind of like an attacks and etc. It kind of helps you feel like you're playing at a, different kind of style all the time so it keeps you engaged again and again so you get tired of bugs go to the robot you get tired of robot go to the bugs you get tired of permafrost go to the desert and etc so there's a lot of options for somebody to come in and play now there are like some fps bugs that that happen every once in a while but i mean you know if you can you just close out reopen and if you can get back in you're good yeah i mean it's not very it doesn't take too long for you to get back in. I mean, that is still a flaw to kind of address for these, uh, like an Arrowhead and uh, PlayStation to do, like Sony Interactive to do. They should definitely kind of look into it because 
whenever I saw probably the situation where you were having an FPS issue, it looked like you were moonwalking through the entire desert. So it was like, kind of, I was like, you know, oh, Ian, there you go. He's just kind of like just running in the same place, you know, kind of like, it was kind of like, yeah, basically a moonwalk. Uh, but hopefully they managed to resolve those issues. Because on PC, for me, I didn't have that kind of issue a lot. Uh, I did have the connectivity issue once in a while, but that's about it. I play with keyboard and mouse. And uh, I used to play with my own like you know, controller that's joined with the Bluetooth on Steam. But for this one, the keyboard and mouse was a lot more fun and a lot more, well, a lot more immersive for me to play with the keyboard and mouse, which I haven't done in a long time. And the part where you mentioned about like you know clean kind of gameplay, definitely agreed on that. This game does not have like your UIs just plastered all over the place. It's pretty well reserved where it's located, and so that you can enjoy the gameplay and the view. And I said a lot more than just having like you know points come off of enemies all the time, or like you know just having those like Overwatch style kind of UI everywhere. So that kind of clean gameplay really brings in you know a lot of new players to into the game like you know people who've never really wanted to do multiplayer before they would be more excited about checking out a live service multiplayer game because there's a lot of options for somebody to come in and play and usually you only at most get to interact with three other people online you don't really have that much interaction with like you know even if the game says there are about 90,000 to 100,000 people playing you don't really get to interact with other people other than the ones who are in your squad uh, now, for a lot of people, that is a good thing. That is how they would rather keep it. Uh, but for some people, they might be looking for a little bit more multiplayer, a bit more bigger community to kind of play with. That is understandable as well. I mean, you, but you're all fighting towards a similar goal. Like, they, you have major orders, which right now, the major orders are to defend eight planets from the automatons because they've launched a counterattack against us. So the community is really trying to pull together and, and work towards a common goal of holding these planets from the robots from taking over. Uh, before that, there was a, an invasion of bugs, so we had to push back bugs. Like, there's a, a bigger spectrum of game that's kind of going on at the same time of you playing, which I feel like kind of brings the community together. Also, to kind of mention on that, the devs are also... Um, you know, tweaking things live while you're playing. Uh, for instance, the devs could basically spawn in more enemies on you, or uh, supposedly they can uh, drop some better weapons for you to find. So there's the devs are able to kind of lively control how the game is playing for you at the same time. So there's a lot of working components going on, which is really interesting with this game. Yeah, I mean... I thought like, you know, most of the enemies that are kind of coming in, it's just, well, same as the uh, environment procedures generated, right? For the most part. But I think that they can, if they're seeing a particular world getting an influx of people failing missions, they can go in and like kind of reduce how often patrols will launch up for backup and stuff like that. Yeah, because like you could end up in a world where it, it might not be under their purview. <laughs> you don't have to kind of like, you know, it's kind of weird to notice it. But yeah, it's not under their purview. But you keep getting attacked with these patrols again and again and again. It's like, it's like, is nobody here organizing this thing? Like, you know, why are we like, you know, attacking 20 chargers in just one single game? Sometimes it happens. Uh, so that's like kind of interesting to know that there might be some benevolent god watching us while we play this game 
Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely some things that need to get tweaked and stuff. Because like when you're running into an issue like that, I mean, that's just I, that was such a slog for us, man. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> but we got out of it, and we will tell our children the day we fought to turn charge or something. <laughs> So another thing too, the development team, uh, Arrowhead Game Studios, they have mentioned that they don't plan on having any kind of PvP mode, but there's no telling what the future can hold. So if you're looking for PvP, this isn't necessarily the game that you should get. It's more of a PvE game. However, like Ari said, Friendly Fire is on, so you can kill your teammates on accident, quote unquote, with your mortar shells. And man, I apologize for that Uh cluster bomb like multiple times and you said it was okay but i knew for a fact that i could <laughs> feel that little cold hatred coming out of that communication even though no nah, man <laughs> like, no nah, man it's good it's good yeah, i keep like you know I, like listen in real life i can't throw a pigskin properly nor can i throw even a round kind of ball properly i'm a very unathletic person in the video game it's the same thing too okay like and i thought i threw it far it didn't go far enough and the cluster bomb hit you yet and i'm sorry about it i and i was sorry the first time the second time the third time and the fourth time and the fifth Uh, time (laughs) i mean it like i said it happens your mortars you can't even control where they fire so they're indiscriminate as well so it's just something you got to deal with but again the game doesn't necessarily punish you for dying so it's it's okay like don't don't feel like you have to perfect it there were plenty of matches where Ari me and you made it out with like one or two reinforcements yeah and I can't even tell you how many times I've left with zero reinforcements oh yeah like getting out of there with like skin of our teeth like that was crazy there's one mission where like nobody got out except I did when we were kind of playing together at that last moment I was like I felt like I don't know, Survivor's Guild. I was like, God damn, I lost all these guys. That's that's a failure on me. Because like, I found a one area where like the uh, bugs could not climb and I was able to kind of keep them up while you guys were being attacked left and right. And when the, uh, I think like the uh, extraction copter just landed, it just blew one of the players that we're playing with out of the fucking mountain. And then he had to call himself in again and then like, you know, just rotate around. He was just... That mission, man, I was like, God, it was one of the, I think it was one of the challenging uh, difficulty level too. So like, kind of makes sense. But yeah, it was just, just getting out of there by myself. I felt like a failure. I, I let my friends down. I let my family down at that time. Hey, one of us lives on for the, for the greater good, man. That's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still enjoying this game. I played some before we started the podcast this morning when I got up, having some coffee, killing some bugs and some uh, robots in the morning. Like, this is definitely a game that I am going to keep on playing and keep coming back to, especially when there's not a whole lot going on. So, uh, Ari, I hope that we can have plenty more missions together uh, because it's just been so fucking fun playing this game. Absolutely. What's the story of this game, though? Like, it it feels like, yeah, you're right, it's like a Starship Trooper, right? But, like, I think one of my most annoying part of this game is all the background stuff where, like, the dialogue is just way too long and just kind of like, you know, I was like, hey, guy from my ship, shut the fuck up so I can hear what they're saying. But he keeps on, like, you know, talking like the general from like some 90s movie or something like that but i think the story is like 
yeah, we got attacked. Uh, survive now. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think that's one of the better parts about this is there's there's not really a whole lot of lore or story. It's yeah, you have Super Earth. That's where you're from. That's where like the main human colony is from, and you're just being attacked on two fronts right now by some invading bugs and some robots from hell. Right? It's pretty cut and dry. There's not really a whole lot going on there. It's more about dropping in. Uh, and just fucking shit up with your with your uh, stratagem. Yeah. On that end, like I was trying to look up the Wikipedia for the story. It says you are the son of a town's vagrant drunkard, slipping on doorsteps when the weather is fair in empty hogshead during the storm. Wait, no, wait. This is a this is Huckleberry Finn, I think. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Yeah, it's uh. Okay, yeah, no, I have a wrong Wikipedia page. Uh, never mind. But yeah, the story is pretty simple, I heard. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of story to this game. It's it's pretty cut and dry. It focuses on fun. Um, it, it focuses on gameplay. There, There is some monetization there, but again, uh, as so far on release, it is very fair in my opinion. So I highly recommend anyone listening to go check it out. Um I, I just hope that they get these server issues uh, figured out because I know there's been a lot of people that have been having issues getting into games and not really even being able to play because of it. So, But I will say, too, that Arrowhead has been extremely well with communication. They're on their subreddit and they make constant updates. They make constant updates on Twitter, on their Discord. They, they're listening to the community, to say the least. Yeah. I don't know, Ian, like, their server issues have been kind of getting worse, to be really honest. Like, I used to have it once or twice. That's fine, right? I was trying to play one with yesterday with a couple of my friends, and they were not able to get, like, they paid about 40 bucks or so for the game, but they could not join it because if you don't have the server to join in, you cannot, you know, even start the game at all. They were not able to do it for the whole day, or maybe they were making excuse to not hang out with me, I guess. That could be true <laughs> as well. But yeah, they were just not able to join. And you're right, it could be because of the population that is just playing right now, a lot well, of people in there. But yeah, they need to get on that a little bit faster because... So to to kind of to give you some perspective, they have a cap right now of about 450,000. Um, which they've hit that cap. The other issue is that over the weekend, they did a two times uh, XP gain to kind of compensate for the issues that they've been having. So you have more people trying to log in because of that, because you're getting two times the XP over the weekend. PlayStation also waived the PS Plus. So you didn't need PS Plus to be able to play online with people. So that, that was even more people than stacking in. Well, that's so, just bad organization then. What the fuck? Like, you just want to yeah. do everything you can to kind of like, you know, over... I mean, they, they want they, people coming, but like, come on, man. Like, They flooded the servers bad, and they really should have thought about that. And honestly, Sony should be calling up the studio and, you know, giving them anything that they need because this has been such a hit. I mean, and again, it goes to show how well the you know a PlayStation game is going to do on PC i mean people it has a 300,000 400,000 uh i th- i think if they hit 300,000 for their peak on just steam alone i mean that's huge dude yeah like that's the that's the 
good lesson learned for Sony is that, hey, your good games, if people outside PlayStation would like to play that too, you know, like that's a good lesson to take because like that means hopefully in the future with the third-party exclusives that they have, like, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden West or whatever they are calling it, or like God of War, like we don't have to wait a couple of years before the PC port comes out. Like, they can focus on making those games during the development itself, focusing on PC as well as PS, uh, whatever, five or six or seven that they're going to have. That would be absolutely amazing. It would really kind of like, you know, I don't think it will hurt their margins on that end. I don't think it looks like it's going to hurt, you know, the popularity of their console or their games. It will just bring more people to your popular games at the same time. Like, you know, it's it's a good thing. Like, Let's learn that lesson, okay? Like, let's learn the good lessons. Yeah, um, but again, you know, to to keep up the momentum, they need to get the server issue straightened out because if you're not getting these people in to play your game, they're going to leave it. So hopefully they get it figured out. Hopefully they increase it. I want to go over scores real quick just because, um, it, just to show, like, how well-received this game has been. I know on Steam, it's been mixed reviews with uh, generally positive I, I believe pretty recently metacritic gave it an 83 out of 100 which is not bad but this game has been getting four out of fives 4.5 out of fives nine out of tens GameSpot, nine out of ten games radar plus four out of five ign nine out of ten pc gamer 86 out of 100 the guardian even gave it uh four out of five you know Eurogamer, four out of five digital trends four out of five i mean People have, this game has been more than just well-received. I mean, this has definitely scratched the itch, I believe, for a, a lot of people. And like you said, it's it's brought fun and enjoyment back to video games. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at the Steam because like that, <laughs> that review just kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, it's mostly positive right now. It is? Okay. I Steam always fluctuates, I feel like. It does. So it's hard to say. I feel like it's more reliable kind of a gauge on how good a game is in my opinion compared to other but i also listen to other critics as well like you know my i do listen to ign a little bit more because i think their reviews i know a lot of people have issues with ign or whatever but on generally like you know the kind of game i've enjoyed they've been quite uh accurate about that like even though that one person got absolutely kind of like, you know, bullied for giving Starfield 7 out of 10. At the end of the day, you know, he kind of proved to be right. So, like, yeah. yeah. What do you think? What do you, what do you give it, Ari? I'd give it uh, an A+. Plus. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, that, I'd, that's give it, like, wait, wait, I'd give it, uh, let's see, uh, a five blueberry scones out of three blueberry muffins. I give it a solid S. <laughs> oh, <laughs> This is not a competition, eh? okay? This is not this is not some Akatsuki, uh, you know. Like, S is only relevant in Japanese medium. Okay, oh, shit. PlayStation is a Japanese company. I guess that makes sense. This this is a 4.75 out of 5 game for me. <laughs> for me? I mean, yeah. I, I can't praise this game enough. It's been such a blast, and I really hope that, that the developers continue to do something great with this game. Um, yeah, no, Dan, yeah. You're right, like, just to kind of like, you know, make sure that I'm not being stupid. Yeah, it's a five out of five for me. It's a fun game. Uh, the server issues is the only one which is expected for a game that has way too many people coming into play. But but sorry yeah. for interrupting, but go ahead. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, they, and that's the only reason why I would give it like a four point seven five out of five or something like that, or like a, a nine and a half out of ten. And it, honestly, I haven't even been affected by the server issues that much. I've always been able to get into a game partially because my schedule is fucking out of whack, and I play during non-peak hours. I feel bad for everyone that does have to play during peak or, you know, try to play during peak hours. I feel bad for you guys. And I hope they get it situated and hunkered down so that everyone can play. Cause this is just, it's such a blast. Yeah. Just quit your job, stop going to school and just play this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is like all you need to do at 3 a.m. in the morning. That's all you got to do. What's the complicated? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Why is it so, why is it so difficult, guys? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's your fault. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, Ari, I, I think we kind of covered everything with this one. Um, do you got anything else for Helldivers 2 other than go play it? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, you know, what are the things to look forward to from this game, right? What are the like, things you would like to see in the future as this game progresses or as we level up, keep on getting better? Like, what do you expect to see in the future? So for me, I know it's kind of echoed by what the a lot of what the community has already said. I would love to see us get mechs and able to call down mechs with our stratagems. I think that would be really great. I would like to see a, another faction, of course, join in with the automatons or whatever, the Terminators and the bugs. Um, I think another faction would be great. I would love to see two factions. I'd like to see a human faction, maybe some uh, some some pirates or like rogues who are going against super earth and maybe someone else. But really I, I, you know, I'd like to see some of the guns buffed up. I wouldn't really like to see anything get nerfed. I'd like to see just the other guns kind of raised up. So they're all on like a similar platform. Gun customization might be kind of cool depending on how it's implemented. Um, But I'm fine with how guns are right now, as far as just picking a gun and going. I just wish that some of the other guns were viable because there's definitely a meta out there. I mean, I'm not going to complain because the meta's the auto shotgun and I love that fucking thing, but it would be nice to play with something else once in a while that that feels good as well. So that's kind of where I am. Of course, different stratagems would be cool. What other stratagems I would want, I I can't really tell you right now because there's there is a lot in there already that are very fun to use. What about you, Ari? How do you feel? On my end, you know, I'll definitely echo everything you've said. Those are exactly what I was thinking. Uh, in addition to that, I would love to see few story packs, like, you know, how you get it on Destiny and Destiny 2. Uh, basically, like, you know, like, you know, particular kind of story that you can do with your friends and et cetera, kind of pursue it. Um, that'd be pretty ideal, kind of to check it out. Uh, boss, more like, you know, difficult enemies, like a boss enemies and et cetera. There are some, like, really good ones, what we're facing and... I think as we level up, we'll probably see more of those, like in you know, a Titans and etc. I think there are even more. I'm looking at the trailer right now. I think there are even more to kind of face uh, that we can face after we kind of like level up a lot further. But yeah, I mean overall, like you know, they're doing a great job. You know, I love to see more, like as I said, story packs and stuff. Uh, that'd be pretty ideal. Uh, and I'm gonna echo on the mech part. That'd be pretty nice. I think the amount of weapons and stuff that we use is pretty limited in a sense that, you know, it's the primary weapon, secondary weapon, and the tertiary weapon uh, just in a different variety, which is good. But, like, having a vehicle or mech, those kind of stuff would be absolutely awesome. I mean, just add on to it. Like, imagine calling something like a Warthog from your, you know, ship and then riding on it while you're shooting the shit out of, like, you know, your, uh, like, what is I going to call the trashers or something? Yeah. Like imagine killing those things in that. That'd be pretty awesome. I know a lot of people have been hesitant on that. Well, I know a lot of people have been saying that they want vehicles. 
But um, I feel like that they would have to do the vehicles on designated maps because the maps that they have right now, imagine getting a vehicle in, you would have people just farming supplies and you already kind of get like the way you move through the maps, I feel is a really good pace because like you can kind of move through and take out all the like the little strongholds and stuff and like get your supplies and and all the uh, samples that you need to pick up before you get to your objectives and stuff. And then, you know, sometimes you have a hike back to the extraction point or, you know, maybe you don't. So I feel like with vehicles that they would need to do like specific maps for it because you would just be like, just hop in your car and go from A to B and just like swoop by, swoop in real quick and get all the supplies. And like, you know, you wouldn't have those, those moments where like they call in five drop ships on your ass and you got to fucking try to take them out, you know? Uh, <clears throat> I guess you're right. You're right. But then create those map, right? So procedures generated and maybe missing specific, like, you know, like there are some weapons that you cannot, you know, get immediately from your armory, but you have to, or requisition, you have to kind of just uh, get it in the game itself. So maybe like, you know, depending upon the map, just place the vehicle there and then people can just use it when they want to or something. Yeah, I'm I'm not their game designer. I'm just somebody who's going <laughs> to absolutely play their game when they decide to update it even further than what we have. It's still in its infancy. Right? It's only been two weeks or three weeks since it got released. So there's hopefully a lot more to come and what else it can do. Is I'm, I'm excited to see where this game goes. But there will be other games that we got to play too, Ian. You know, Dragon's Dogma oh. is coming pretty soon. Hey, I, I got Pacific Drive is coming out this Thursday, and I I want to jump on that and play a little bit of that. That looks interesting. So there's there's definitely other stuff coming out. Yeah, I'll probably play this one, like, you know, maybe, like, I'll schedule a Sunday with my friends or, like, you know, some weekday with you and then just uh, play this game for a while. And then, oh, wow, I just saw somebody got sniped by their own friend. But never mind. Sorry, I was just watching their gameplay and et cetera. It's, oh, man, I just miss it right now. Yeah, I find myself at work, like browsing the subreddit like oh why not me the like wolverine meme where he's touching the picture for you know? <laughs> that's how i feel all the time you know there was like, a, there's a trailer out for that 95 x-men they're about what? to re-release it they're about to not re-release but like make new episodes of the 95 x-men the one that we you're referencing that x-men oh really yeah i didn't know that i'm not checking it out i'm done with superhero shit but yeah <laughs> Right, well, hey, that's cool, but yeah, I probably I'm not gonna check it out either because I'm gonna be too busy killing fucking bugs. Yeah, exactly. I think that's all on my end, Ian. What do you think? Yeah, man, that's all I got. I mean, hey, I'm looking for Pacific Drive for not next next episode, but probably the one after that. Yeah, I'm looking at uh right now. Ubisoft has kind of a sale going on, really like dollar bones. Uh, no, I'm I'm about <laughs> to buy uh Scott Pilgrim. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite books that I read. Uh, I just want to check it out, the game as well. It's a side-scroller. I'll probably check out the uh, Scott Pilgrim, and maybe maybe I'll check out the Pacific Drive as well. It's not horror, right? No, I don't. Uh, it's, it is it is a survival game, but okay. it's I don't, I don't know if I really call it horror. I mean, you do, like, encounter some, like, weird-ass orb shit or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I've done a, a road trip through... 101 that pacific drive uh kind of highway one highway 101 uh yeah you do meet some weird ass things around there it's uh crazy 
Yeah, but that being said, I think we're done with our episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, hypingbastards at gmail.com is the best way to reach out. And we have a YouTube channel as well if you want to put it on your monitor or a second monitor or third monitor and just in the background, listen to us kind of talk shit about our video games and our gameplay and etc. So thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.